Well, thank you. That was, that was awesome. I have a question for you. I think it's a question that you want to ask. It's a question that we all ask, and the question is pretty basic. Does God communicate with us? Does God communicate with us? A fundamental thing that people would, they want to know, is this God talking to us? Here's a way that I think if you were to say, does God communicate us? I think you might say, well, yeah, God communicates with, with me, like through friends and their opinions. Maybe some of you have felt like God has communicated with you through dreams. Maybe some through circumstances. Maybe a sense of inner peace or contentment about a decision and a direction in your life. And certainly God uses all those things. But what we're doing today is we're answering the question with a huge affirmative yes. God does communicate with us. And here in this body of Jesus, what we're going to say and celebrate and try to understand a little bit this morning is God communicates with us and God communicates with us through this book that we call the Bible. Now, I have mine right here. I don't know how you use yours. Some people like hard copies. I got 92 million different Bibles on here. Oh, do I treasure this thing in a lot of reasons, but one of them is because I've got access to God's Word for me in my life and for us as a family in our life. And so here's a verse written by the Apostle Paul that's just one verse of many that helps us to understand that, yes, God does communicate with us, and God is motivated by love and mercy. God made us. And here's some of what it means to say that the Bible is God's word to us, God speaking to us, God communicating with us. The great apostle Paul writing to his young trainee, Timothy. And here it is, the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And here I think we have the New International Version. Uh, the versions don't matter. I've read it carefully in Greek, and I'll be happy to tell you a little bit about that. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. In the Greek text, God-breathed is, is an adjective, and it's two words put together. Theos, which is the Greek word for God, and panoustos, which is having to do with breath. Panuma, spirit, wind, breath, panoustos. So English comes over in a lot of different ways. Many times the word that gets used in English is the, all Scripture is inspired. Panoustos, inspired. And inspired is a great thing. In other words, the scriptures are God's word in human words. God has inspired writers to write. Now, they don't go into a trance. God is not dictating. They're using who they are as human beings, all of the literary genre, et cetera, et cetera. But God is inspiring them, and it's this mystery. If we could put that verse back up there, that would be great. Thank you. So look carefully at it. God inspires people to write words, and it's God speaking to us. It's God-inspired words. Okay, this is a fantastic thing. Just a few details of what these inspired words do for us. The first thing it teaches us, we learn how to live guidelines. We learn what is good and what isn't good. It says the word rebuke. We don't use the word rebuke in English too much anymore, but here's what rebuke means. I totally messed up, and God's word will say, you messed up. God's word will make it clear that that's, not, that's wrong. That's out of the rails. That's off the track. That's, that's in the ditch. 
And, and we need to be told that. Every single one of us knows that we need to understand when we're out of line. That's, so it helps us to see that. It's like a mirror or like a microscope or like a looking glass or like a telescope. It's a lens through which we can see. And when we mess up, we can see that's a mess up. But look what comes next. Correcting. It also helps us get back on the right path. And then it says it helps us to become righteous. And the word righteous scares people off. But what righteous means in the Bible, it means primarily to be rightly related. So it means I have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other believers and a right relationship in my family and a right relationship in my work. And so these words from God help us to get there. Yes, God is speaking to us. And finally, the last clause is saying, and God has really cool stuff he wants us to be able to do. So this word from God, this Bible, is helping us to hear from God, to shape us, to correct us, to guide us, to inspire us, and to move us into the place where God meant for us to be in the first place, which is how that thing is equipped for the good things that God wants us to do. So yes, God wants us to interact with this world. And he wants us to do it like this collectively because we're a family. He wants us to do it in our groups. We call them life groups. He wants us to do it individually with God so where we're alone with God in private and we're having our private time of prayer and devotion. Quiet time is what I call mine. And we, some of us, go to seminars and do courses and go online and study. All of that is a way for us to be guided, corrected, put back on the right path, etc. made into, yes, God communicates with us. <clears throat> and so here we are at the movies. This is week four. Dundee. Not Dundee. I'm sorry. I I'm keep going Dundee. <laughs> I'll keep saying Crocodile Dundee, but that's not who I am. I'm Indy, ain't I? I'm Indy Jones. <laughs> There's too many movies. <laughs> so what we're doing is this. We're at the movies. This is week four. It's the last week of the four weeks that we're doing it. And we're seeing this action adventure of this fearless, the, pro, the protagonist, this fearless, risk-taking archaeologist. And here's what's really important about Indy Jones. He knows that people want to get a hold of these powerful religious relics, and particularly the Ark of the Covenant. That's the big box, and inside it are the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. God's Word, Scripture, in the box that, that God gave to Moses and for the people to help them do all the things that we just read, Paul telling Timothy that God's word is going to do. Yes, God communicates with us. Yes, God did communicate with us. And we have those tablets in a box. And people have been protecting their, that box for a couple of thousand years. And so you have Indy. And he wants to keep the Nazis from getting a hold of it. So the antagonist is Dr. Rene Bellick. And he wants to get control of that box and any other thing he can that's religious in nature. Why? Because it is their goal to control the entire world. That's their goal, the Nazi movement. And he represents that. So let's see the first clip of Indy and Belloc and what happens with them as we begin to see how God communicates with us. Let's hurry. There's nothing to fear here. That's what scares me. <laughs> Stay here. If you insist, senor. 
This is that idol. Thank you, Dina. This is that idol. And what, what is it about idols? Again, the question, is God communicating with us? And people throughout history have wished that God would communicate. And idols, which are things made by human beings, representing something that people think might be God. So here is one. And Jones is an archaeologist, so he does his best to steal it. But here it is. And what is an idol? It's, it's, it's our human attempt to try to what? Get God to communicate, to get God's attention. It's our human attempt, this idol, and what we do for it and with it is to maybe win God's favor. It's also maybe a way to avoid, by worshiping it, avoid the unpredictability of God, as these folks would have said, because they build these things to represent the sun, the moon, stars, fertility, crops, droughts, everything. And can and will God ever communicate with us? In fact, I was watching a Netflix movie called The Vikings of Valhalla, if you've watched it, and there's a woman that goes into a temple. She's a Viking. She's a pagan meaning she is not a worshiper of Jesus. She's a worshiper of this pantheon of gods. And she goes in, there's this large wooden god in the middle of the temple. And she walks up to the god, the, uh, to the idol, and she says to it, please forgive me for speaking to you directly. That's the nature of the way that people have struggled. Can God, does God, will God communicate with us? And our answer is an idol is anything or anyone that we give worth to or that we worship, worthship, anything other than the almighty God of the universe. And so, yes, God communicates with us. Yes, God speak to us, speaks to us. And we have the history of God's people that's recorded in the book that we call the Bible. And we have God speaking to us through the letters and the gospels, et cetera, et cetera. And we have God speaking to us also in his very self by becoming one of us. So look at the way the gospel of John says, does God speak to us? Absolutely, yes. John chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 in just about the first half of verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, God speaking. And yet it's more. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God. He, meaning the Word, 
in the beginning, and through him, that is the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, before we even have creation, we have God. The God, something's going on in a Godhead, a trinity, and God makes reality happen, and there's this person in the middle of it. Verse 14a tells us, the word became flesh. The word became a human being and made his dwelling among us. The Gospel of John, John is talking about Jesus. Does God communicate with us? Yes, we have the record of his words to us in the book, and then we have Jesus himself, who the Bible is calling the Word. So don't let that fall off of your ears. Word, speak, God, communicate, Jesus, all of it is what we're saying is an unbelievably joy-filled answer to the question, does God speak to us? The answer is yes. And man, are we glad. Because look what happens when someone thinks they can possess God. Clip number two. Dr. Jones, again, we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away. And you thought I'd given up. You chose the wrong friends. This time it will cost you. Too bad the Jovitos don't know you the way I do, Belloc. Yes, too bad. You could warn them if only you spoke Jovitos. Hokana Matuso! Babata! Does God speak to us? Yes, but did you hear the evil laugh of Dr. Belloc? He thinks he has possessed something that he can use in his conquest. The conquest, again, is to dominate the world, and that is literally, historically, what the Nazis wanted to do. They wanted to, do they do wanted to dominate everything. It's, it is Dr. Belloc's evil laughter that sort of portrays what happens to us when we think we can possess God or control God or own God or manipulate God. We can't do that. And, of course, this is just a dumb piece of plastic, and that was a dumb piece of gold. Moving further into the Bible itself to hear how the Bible talks about whether or not God speaks to us and more about what the Bible says about itself, we go to a letter called Hebrews. And this letter is talking about the power and the authority and the discernment of God's word. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. So let me read, us, read it for us here. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So let's look at that text a little bit longer and just think about some of the things it says in there. The powered by love, the motivation 
of God speaking to us is God's mercy and love. God loves us. God wants to be connected with us. God wants us to enjoy a relationship with him. And that's why God speaks to us. Does God communicate with us? Absolutely. All driven, powered by, motivated by love, by mercy. And here's what this text is trying to say to us. There's, there's a sense of authority, of ownership. And so what the Bible, this text is telling us is there's a, there's a way that God's word will let us see whether or not we are rightly related to God and rightly related to God's purpose. It's connected but at the same time, it also discerns, it gets into every sinew of who we are and it helps us to see where we aren't rightly related to God and rightly related to God's people and all of God's purposes. That's what it's doing. It's doing, God is doing the God job with this text, with authority that only God could have. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Authority is not ours. It's God's. And so God's authority speaks into our lives. We connect with God. Let me make something really clear. This is not a transactional thing. This is not where I know a bunch of stuff. It's not like I go Google and I say, what is Hebrews 4, 12, and 13? I hit Google and find my Bible and read. It's not, it's not that, though that's a good thing to be able to do. It's about connecting relationally. So these words are words of invitation for us to be in a right relationship with God and all of God's purposes for us. That's the point so that we can be the people that God wants to be. So that's what's motivated by grace, motivated by love, but wanting to be connected with us, wanting us to see the good and the not good through the eyes of God, not through our own creation. The question is, what's going to happen when Dr. Bellick gets a hold of this ark? So before we watch the clip, here's what's happened. Dr. Bellick has come into possession of the Ark of the Covenant, and he, is the, he represents evil and self-serving. And he wants control of the power that he knows somehow is there. And we're going to see how it turns out for him and, and for his friends here in this next clip.
your eyes, Marie, and don't look at it no matter what happens. I know. I know we cut the gory part out for obvious reasons because we didn't know how, many, how young the eyes would be in the room. But what happens is basically all of those people get nuked and then vaporized and they get taken straight up into the sky in some kind of a pillar of whatever. If you hadn't seen the movie, go watch it. Well, I thought the moment I saw this when it came out, what a powerful, playful Hollywood way of talking about the sharp, piercing and the power of the sword, which has edges on both sides, which is the word of God. Don't mess with me. It's powerful. So the box, which was a good replica of what scholars think the ark would have looked like, it was very good. And so out of it is coming, you think you're going to possess me, you think you're in your evil, hideous laugh, you're going to take over the world and inflict your ideology, racist ideology on everybody, Mr. Nazi people. Nope, ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. And so the Bible doesn't say that everybody gets nuked. That's not what it says. But it's a playful thing about the power. Because remember the text we read, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces. And so this is a powerful way of saying if you try to mess with God, who is speaking to us, his very voice will open and lay bare your intentions. His voice will make it clear that you're out of line with, what my, with, with how I made you and what I want for you. All of those people are totally, absolutely subject, subject to the love of Jesus and welcomed to be a follower of Jesus. But we can't possess Jesus. We can't possess his words. We can't control his words. We can't manipulate them. That's drifting back into creating something which is self-made and turning it into our God. So we don't do this anymore. But we have other things that drift into our life that become for us where we place our worth. And the word worship is worthship. What is worth giving self to? And if it's created by humans and designed by us, sooner or later, the powerful, loving word of God will lay bare that which is good and in God's purposes, and that which is not in God's purposes. And we're invited always to look at it and say, okay, I was wrong, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm going to do that one over again. All of us do this, and all of us are tempted regularly to let something or somebody be for us what only God can be. But don't be scared. <laughs> it's a great scene. Go watch it. The people's faces melt into all this good stuff. It's fantastic. And I cut the glare out of the first two also because there's bad stuff happening to people there. So it's Hollywood. Here's, here's what I think that you need to know. God communicates with us. I need to know this. Now let's go to Jesus himself and see how he communicated it. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. He comes out of the river, and basically what happens next is Jesus holds a press conference and says, I'm announcing right now today that I am the Almighty God of the universe, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, and I am beginning my public work right now, coming out of the baptism, out of the water. That's in effect. I'm, I'm summarizing. And here's what happens next. He's led into the wilderness by God the Spirit, in order to be tested by the evil one, the devil. Tested for what? Tested, will he, Jesus, decide he knows best 
how to get done the job that he's been put here to do. Will he do it the way he wants to do it? Or will he listen and, and surrender always to the voice of God? And will he use scripture to help him? So Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. The devil says to him, he's been out 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. You'd be hungry too. We went to places this summer where it would have been sort of like it, a dry, hot. Occasionally there's some kind of oasis. It's rough out. You just get out of Jerusalem, out into the, into the desert area. It's, it's rough going. Jesus is hungry. The devil comes to him and says, yo, dude, listen to me. You're talking big. Prove it. See those rocks over there? Turn them into bagels. And Jesus bows up on him and says this. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall li not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let Jesus using the word, word, resonate with all the text we've already read this morning. And then here's what's really important that you know. It is written means he's quoting the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus has put into himself, he's fully human, fully divine, fully human Jesus has studied and meditated on and spent time with people in groups like this and in smaller groups and on his own and privately. He's eaten over and over again of the word of God. He's digested it. It's inside him. And when tempted to do, accomplish the purpose, so what does the devil want him to do? Turn a rock into bread, which is like putting on a magic show and duping people into following him. And he says, I ain't going to do it that way because every person needs more than just physical food. Of course, he's hungry. We need the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He quotes it when he's under duress. Man doesn't live simply or only on bread, but man must live. We come alive. Men and women, we come alive when we're feasting on God speaking to us. That's what's happening here. For me personally, I just want to tell you about me personally. I was 18 years old. And I was at a young life camp, and I was just graduating from high school. And they said, go out on that rock, and you're being asked to make a decision. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus or not? And I said, yeah, I do. I want to be one. So I started reading the Bible carefully, and that was when I was 18 years old. That was a long time ago. And I'm just saying to you that my life is totally different, and I've done it one-on-one, -on -one, just me and the Bible. I've done it in small groups. I've done it in big groups like this. It had nothing to do with the fact that I turned out to be a preacher. That's got nothing to do with it because it was a lot of years after that that I ended up in this kind of job. I wasn't a religious leader. I was just a Jesus follower. You can't live on your own construction. You can't live on your own stuff that you make. You need to be, and I need to be fed by the word of God. Does God communicate us with us? Absolutely, yes, he does. Let me, let me pray for us as we nourish and nurture God's word in our hearts. Thank you, gracious God, that you love us. Thank you, gracious God, that you feed us. Thank you, gracious God, that you speak to us. Thank you, gracious God, that you will never leave us. Thank you, gracious God, that you will lovingly and with mercy show us when we've messed up. You'll teach us how to get back on track. You'll put other people in our lives, and we can do this together. And because you speak to us, gracious God, we are people of the book. And we want to know this book because it means we know you. 
That's why we're here, gracious God, to worship you and to know you better. And we're going to know you because you've spoken and we get a chance to look at it anytime we want to. All of this in the name of Jesus, the person that loves us. Amen. My good friends, I want you to